Light, life, love and hope. The wonder of Christmas. 1 John 3.16 tells us, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Rich and Christy met in their local church youth group. And at age 14, they liked each other. This led to a friendship, and by the time they were 17, they were writing love letters to each other and enjoying a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Around this time, Christy's father began to feel concerned that their relationship was going to hinder the development of each of them in their own right. So he asked them to cool it until they worked out where they were each going in life. Rich and Christy agreed, but it didn't take long for their connection to begin again. This time, it was behind Christy's father's back. Well, time went by and they were caught out. Deceit, lies, unfaithfulness. Rich promised a second time, and this time he said to Christy, if your dad is right, and I think he is, then I need you to give me back the love letters I've sent you. They'll just be a distraction. So she did. Rich secretly dug a hole two foot deep in the front of Christie's large and long front yard. I'm not sure how big that house was, but obviously it was pretty big, um, where he buried the letters in a small chest. It was really like he was burying his deepest dreams, an act of obedience that only God would be able to turn around and resurrect. The idea that Christmas is about love really only makes sense when Christmas is linked to Easter. After all, 1 John says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. A cute baby born in a manger nativity scene is obviously synonymous with Christmas warm fuzzies, but real life demands more than warm fuzzies to demonstrate love. If Christmas is to represent the wonder of love, then we will need to understand the purpose and calling of this baby born in the manger, whose name was to be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to live a perfect, love-saturated life so that he could die a love-compelled death on a cross as saviour. Christ's death on Good Friday was a promise buried long before. In fact, Christmas and Easter are both part of an ancient covenant made by God himself with humankind. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the first hint that God will in fact deal once and for all with the problem of sin in this world. In Genesis chapter 3, God buries a promise in human history. He says to the evil one as part of the judgment that comes in Genesis chapter 3, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 One will come, born of woman, who will destroy the power of evil in this world. A covenant is a binding promise. A covenant in ancient times meant that you were safe, at least with the people you made the covenant with. The best covenants were with people who were more powerful than you. Imagine the uncertainty of life in an environment where there is no law enforcement at all. You do your best 
to establish life on the land with your growing family, when all of a sudden another people group decide they're just going to come along and take what you've worked so hard to establish. Covenants protected people. If I could make a covenant with my neighbours, then I could live with some measure of safety and security, some measure of peace. In Genesis 12, 15 and 17, God, the creator of all things, makes a covenant with a man called Abraham. He promises to bless Abraham with many descendants. He promises to defend Abraham's descendants. He promises to give Abraham's family peace. Finally, Abraham had a covenant, a relationship of promise which he could hold on to. Finally, Abraham and his family were safe. And the biblical story flows out of this promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph and the 12 tribes and through Moses, over hundreds of years, the true story of this relationship of promise, this covenant between God and his people is beautifully fleshed out in real life. In Exodus, there's a powerful idea that perfect blood from a sacrificial lamb would be required to ultimately secure peace for God's people. The book of Joshua teaches God's people that holiness matters to their covenant partner. So it began in Genesis 3 where God said, I will fix the problem of sin. I will defeat evil in this world. And then Genesis 12, 15 and 17 reminded and explored and explained how this would happen. It's going to be through a chosen people. And then in Exodus, we're told that out of these chosen people, there will be required a perfect lamb, a sacrifice. There will be perfect blood required to finally defeat evil. From bloody wars between primitive people to glorious and grandiose temple constructions, the people of God known as the Israelites worshipped and served their covenant God, regularly failing to honour him, yet constantly, generation by generation, holding on to this promise that had been buried, that one day God would come and fix the problem of sin. One day the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head once and for all. Well, around 700 years before the first Christmas and the Good Friday to follow, a prophet spoke on God's behalf and the prophet's name was Isaiah. And prophetically, he gave incredible detail to God's covenant promise being fulfilled. He said the seed of the woman, the saviour of the world, would have no beauty to attract us to him. He'll be an ordinary person. He will be despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He'll take up our pain and bear our suffering. He'll be punished by God on our behalf. He'll be pierced for our sins. The punishment that brings us peace will be upon him. By his wounds, we will be healed. He'll be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He'll be cut off from the land of the living. He'll be buried with the rich in his death. He'll be without violence or deceit in himself. And though he suffers and dies for our sins, he will see his offspring and see the light of life and be satisfied. A covenant promise, the wonder of true love fulfilled. But what would this actually look like? Well, I imagine that many of us here today waiting 
patiently is a life lesson that we have been forced to learn. There are many, many lessons in life, but one that is universally true is simply that time is God's way of preventing everything from happening all at once. Wouldn't you agree? Time is God's way of preventing everything from happening all at once. Can you imagine going to a fancy restaurant and uh, ordering the entree and uh, the waiter's there taking the notes and uh, then you've ordered your main meal and then you've decided what you might have for dessert and you've asked for a certain drink and then just before the waiter walks away you say, um, uh, one more thing, can you put all that in a blender? Um, yeah, just blend it up and bring it to us in a drink, thanks. Well, of course, no one's going to do that because to enjoy a meal is to enjoy the time that it takes to consume that meal. Time is God's way of preventing everything from happening all at once. We know about waiting, don't we? We wait for investments to mature. We wait for promotions. We wait for relationships to be healed. We wait to find our life partner. We wait for courts to make rulings. We wait for health results to return. We wait for loved ones to be released from suffering. We wait for children to be conceived, for children to come home, for grandchildren to arrive. We wait for addictions to be overcome. Life is an exercise in learning patience. And the world which God made was allowed to wait. They were allowed to wait for the covenant promise to be fulfilled. The seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. Evil and death and sin will be defeated. But when and how? And the world waited. And it took a long time. We're told that there was 400 years of silence. No prophetic words in the end of the Old Testament. Waiting for the beginning of the New Testament. Then all of a sudden an angel spoke to a young girl about the child she would bear and a star led wise men to a birth in Bethlehem and more angels sang and a very, very special child was born. And the family escaped to Egypt and returned to live in Nazareth. Then all of a sudden a man named John the Baptist began to declare that God's covenant promise was about to be fulfilled. That which was buried so long ago, was now about to be unearthed. I began by speaking about Rich and Christie. When we left the story, Rich had just buried his love letters to Christie. He'd buried them two feet underground in her parents' front yard, this without Christie's knowledge. Two years passed. They attended their respective colleges and they honoured their commitment. And then slowly they began to correspond again and realised they still loved each other. One day, Christie's father actually called Rich to say that he thought it was time for them to rekindle the relationship. But surprisingly, this time it was the young man who said, I don't feel the green light from God yet. So he waited patiently. Another year passed four since he had dug the hole in the front yard and they began a steady courtship. It was Christmas and Rich was there with Christie's family. Rich gave her a tree, a tree for Christmas. 
and the whole family were in on it. Christy tried to look impressed. And the family said, well, let, let's go plant it now. So they all walked down the front of the yard and Rich led Christy to a place that he knew intimately. As they dug, they found a chest. Christy had expected that Rich had actually burnt all of the letters. She was surprised to open the chest and find all of the letters intact. But there was one new letter that had been left on top. It was a letter that Rich had placed in that chest four years earlier, when he was 18 years old, when he had dug the potential grave for his dreams. Christy opened the letter to read Rich's proposal. Christy, would you marry me? Many of us in this room have learned that love waits. Love is patient. When God became a man in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was on a mission of love. God is love. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The promised seed of the woman was none other than God himself in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, defeating the power of sin by dying for sin on a Roman cross. He who was without sin became sin for us that we, by believing in his name, might become the very righteousness of God. Christmas is about the wonder of love because it begins the process to the love of Good Friday. Do you know that you are loved with an everlasting love by God himself? Do you know that Jesus demonstrated this love for you by shedding his blood to cover your sin? I know that sounds like religious jargon, but I also know that for some of us today, the jargon doesn't matter because the truth of God's love is speaking directly to your heart and you know that it's true. God loves you. And he has not given up on you. And in the same way his promise was waiting to be unearthed, I believe God's love is waiting to be unearthed for many of us listening to this message. Christmas is the birth of your Saviour and mine, but you must receive God's love by faith. God became a man, lived a perfect life and died a perfect death in our place, in your place. The Bible says that anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, this Christmas Eve, God is literally giving you a proposal. Maybe you've been waiting your whole life for this proposal. It's a proposal of love. It's been waiting for you. It's God through his son and by his spirit saying, come home. I've always loved you. I've paid for your sins. Come and receive my love and forgiveness, my cleansing, my eternal life today. Please don't reject my love. Please don't reject my love. 
God is saying to you, my love for you is not based on your performance. It's not based on anything you have done. I loved you when you were sinful and I'll keep loving you. Come and receive the life of the kingdom. Come out of the darkness. Come into the light. Come into life. Come into love. Come into hope. Christy had the option of accepting Rich's proposal of love and she said yes. What have you done with God's proposal of forgiveness, of new life, of hope, of eternal life, of covenant love?